0: Good morning. Good morning. Once again, we've experienced your welcome and embrace of love. And uh, Kathy and I just want to say thanks once again. And the songs this morning were so very appropriate to what I have in mind. A sinking sand, miry clay, Jesus knows all about our struggles. I've been thinking recently about the book of Philippians, and uh, I'd like to call the subject of our message this morning, The Joy That Overcomes the Pits of Life. Do you know anything about the pits of life? Have you ever stumbled through those pits, maybe even fallen down? For anyone who experiences a lot of stress, to anyone who feels that they're stuck in their present circumstances, for anyone who feels that things don't work out right for them, such that it takes the joy out of living, well, maybe this subject is for you. The joy that overcomes the pits of life. If you're turning your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. And we'll read the first 11 verses. Philippians chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me, For God is my witness, how I long after you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May we pray again. Father, we are grateful for this little letter penned by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And we pray, Lord, that you would take this message this morning, Take these feeble words and empower them, and may they be helpful and useful to us in our Christian life. Bless us we pray. bless this congregation of your people, for we pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. It seems to me that there's not a great deal of joy in our world from 911 to to the war in Iraq. There seems to be stress fractures everywhere from our national government to that which used to be so stable, the family. And we seem to be a society that's in the pits. Maybe you remember the comic Alan King's dig at President Carter. He said, why is he always smiling? Doesn't he know what's going on? Or what H.L. Mencken said, uh, some people are so pessimistic that when they smell the flowers, they immediately look for the coffin. (laughs) Well, this little book of Philippians, part of which we want to explore today, pictures for us a man who actually found peace. Peace and joy in prison. Peace and Joy While Guarded by Roman Soldiers. This little book is about a peace which surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that cannot be explained. It's a peace that boggles the mind. When we see only Paul's chains, when we see only his prison, when we see only his fate at the hands of Emperor Nero, we'd say, Paul... Aren't you a little bit crazy talking about peace and joy? Don't you understand that your life is on the line? Don't you understand that some are preaching, thinking that they may add to your problems in prison? Don't you understand that? And yet you speak of peace and joy? Actually, Paul had discovered something That he wants to share with all of us. Because he has unearthed one of life's greatest treasures. If you want to turn to this passage, you may. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12. And I want you to listen very carefully to that. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. He says in verse 12, I have learned... The secret of being content in any and every situation. The Greek text actually reads, I have been initiated into the secret of being content. The secret. Wouldn't you like to know the secret? Wouldn't you like to know how you can be content in any in any and every situation. Is it possible to be joyful if you are unjustly accused? Made fun of? Is it possible to be joyful and at the same time experience the antagonism of an office that rejects God where you work? Is it possible to be joyful when going through a difficult experience? Is it possible? Well, Paul's going to tell us about his secret because the world says no to all of these things. It's entirely unrealistic. Now, when Paul talks about joy, it's not empty words. It's not a smoke screen. It's not a lot of make you feel good, cutesy kinds of sayings. When we read this little book of Philippians, it is easy to overlook the fact that Paul wrote this letter from prison. Because the tone is so positive and the subject is so outgoing and encouraging. Now, if Paul had discovered the secret that resulted in his being content, then I want to know about it. Because I believe we all have our prisons of one kind or another. And I don't know what your prison is, but I do know that many people are stuck in one way or another. Some people feel stuck in their job. Some people feel stuck behind a kitchen sink and several demanding children. Some people feel stuck in their aloneness. Some people feel stuck with limited finances. Some people feel stuck in their marriages and family relationships. And when you feel stuck in these ways and you come to verse 2 of chapter 1, people have a tendency to read read, uh, guilt and pressure rather than grace and peace. Is there a way to be happy in our prisons? And drawing from this little book, we discover that our prisons often don't change. They remain the same and they continue. But the person changes. And he sees things so differently. And that's much more important. You know, sometimes we pray, O Lord, deliver me from this prison. When a more appropriate prayer might be, O Lord, help me to discover the secret of being content. Sometimes we find that we can have a greater impact on our prison than the prison will have on us. And this morning, I'd like to think of three ways to strengthen our response to the pits of life. Three ways from our text in Philippians chapter 1. First of all, happy memories were particularly responsible for Paul's ability to rejoice in jail. You know, he didn't sit in prison feeling sorry for himself. Now, I want you to notice verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. What was it that Paul was remembering? He remembered, I believe, that it was the Holy Spirit that had directed him to be in the city of Philippi. He had wanted to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit of God put a block in his way. And guess what? He ends up in Philippi. He wanted to go elsewhere, but God had other plans for him. And then Paul, I believe, remembered that girl who had the demon problem. And she was delivered. He remembered with joy the earthquake and the jailer who called out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He remembered Lydia, the business lady whom he had met at a prayer meeting at the river's edge. Paul thought of these people and one thing filled his mind. God was present in his life. God had worked in spite of being beaten with rods and thrown into an inner prison. God had done such a great work in the lives of the Philippians that they had joined Paul in his evangelism, the text says, from the very first day until now. And Paul rejoiced. Wouldn't you? You know, sometimes I feel sorry for myself. I lost my pension when I went into the Lord's work full time 33 years ago. I lost what people would call financial security and a good retirement during the golden years. Having more money makes retirement better, doesn't it? Does it? Or doesn't it? Then I remember some people whose lives were dramatically changed at the Bible school where I taught. And I hear regularly, Kathy and I hear regularly from our former students. There's one in Burundi. There's another from Nepal. There are some from Bulgaria. There was one of my students who joined me and maybe 15 or 16 others at 5.30 in the morning in a Bible study centering on discipleship. His first year after Bible school, he led 98 people to the Lord. I rejoiced. Five years ago, Kathleen and I were sent tickets to go to Puerto Rico by a young couple. She was a doctor who taught at the medical school in San Francisco, UC Med School. And he was an environmental specialist who had projects around the world. And that's why he had so many extra mileage, so he could give us two tickets. The wife had come to know the Lord following the preaching one Sunday morning. And uh, the man looked at his wife and wondered what in the world this was all about. Anyway, the evening we arrived in Puerto Rico, Jim had a list of questions from the Gospel of Luke. And he and I stayed up that first night discussing his questions. Later that week, we went out for dinner. And Jim brought his Bible to the dinner table. You know, unsaved people aren't supposed to do that. But he did. And there was his Bible right in the middle of the table. And after dinner, we we went to a little lounge area and began to talk. And Jim came to know the Lord. We rejoiced. And we're grateful to remember this And to see Jim and Carolyn from time to time. There are many more memories. You know what happens to me when I have these memories? My circumstances haven't changed really. But my heart rejoices. And I'm content. And I thank God. When you find yourself down in the dumps. Because of your prison. Or for any other reason. It's a good thing to remember what God has done in your life. You know what makes a happy prisoner? It's the person who recalls God's work in his life. The song goes, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. A second way to respond or to To strengthen your response to life is to have a joyful outlook with regard to the future. And I want you to notice verse 6. Verse 6. Being confident, not cocky, being confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You now this kind of confidence makes happy prisoners. To really believe that the Lord from heaven is at work in a tiny little insignificant life like mine is either to be totally arrogant and prideful or it's a wonderful awesome truth from the Bible. As a convinced Christian I rule out the wishful thinking and rejoice in its happy truth. I'm really looking forward to the day. Do you believe in this verse? If you do, I want you to read it with me regardless of your translation. But I want you to personalize it. When we come to that little word you, slow down and read the word me instead. Me, that's you. So read it together with me out loud, if you would. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you believe it? God's work of change and skill has begun in our lives. I want to look at the text a little bit more closely. Our text says, God began a good work in us. There are two Greek words translated good in the New Testament. One is kalos, K-A-L-O-S. And it means morally good. For example, he or she doesn't engage in questionable activities. He or she is good. He or she doesn't cheat. I can trust them. They're good people. That's one of the ways in which it's used in the New Testament. The other word is agathos. A-G-A-T-H-O-S. And it carries the idea of something beautiful. Sometimes we look at a painting and say, now that's really good. And what we mean is it's quality work and it's also beautiful. Well, what word do you think the Holy Spirit used in this word verse? Kelos or Agathos? Agathos. That's, that's right, Dean. It's agathos. God had begun a beautiful work, and He has begun that work in you and me, and it's going to be a masterpiece. He's going to bring it to completion when Jesus Christ returns to church. You know, I already see a lot of beautiful people here in San Ramon but to quote President Reagan, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. God has started His work in us. And He continues that work. And He continues in order to complete it. And do you suppose that sometimes He uses even our stuck situations as circumstances to complete His beautiful work in us? The work began in the jailer in Paul's prison experience in Philippi. When the jailer cried out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's response, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And when the jailer believed, the work of transformation began. But that was only the beginning. For what Christ started in that jailer, He continued. Because it is good work. That's how to be happy in prison. It's being confident. Confident. That God has begun a beautiful work in us. And He's going to continue it on until Christ comes back. That makes happy prisoners. A third way to strengthen our response to life is to have happy prayers. Verse 4. Paul's prayers were not whining, complaining prayers. As, Lord, you know, I've been trying to serve you and this is what I get? Huh? Paul's prayers were not prayers that begged God to re- release from prison. His prayers were not self-centered. Paul prayed for these dear Philippian Christians who he loved. He prayed for others. Now, when Paul prayed for the Philippians, what were the subjects of his prayers? What, were the, what was the thrust of his prayers? I want you to notice verses 9 and 10. He prayed that their love would abound more and more. And I find this prayer very interesting. Love is not intended to stay at a certain medium level or even a high level. It's intended to grow and expand, to abound more and more. The Greek word translated in verse 9 as abound is a word that I guess I've recently rediscovered. It means an excess and a fullness that overflows its boundaries. It means that the given space is unable to contain it. Are you with me? The New Testament is full of this word. It's the Greek word parisou. When the 5,000 were miraculously fed and satisfied, there were 12 baskets of broken pieces left over. The word left over is the same word we have in verse 9. The people were not only filled, there was an abundance left over. Jesus not only gives us life, he gives us abundant life. He gives us such a fullness that there's an overflow. Another illustration from the Word. In speaking of God's grace in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, we read, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Increased all the more is hyperperuseo. Hyper Superabundance. Not just abundance. Not just superabundance. Hyper-superabundance. If that doesn't excite you about the grace of God, I don't know what will. You know the chorus of the hymn, He Giveth More Grace? It reads, For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. He prayed that their love would abound more and more. He prayed that they would be lovers. He prayed that that love would grow and overflow. And I've asked myself, overflow to whom? Overflow to those around me. Overflow to my wife, my children, my neighbors. My friends, to the new people that just moved in on our street that I just met, pray that their love may overflow. May overflow to people who are easy to love, but also overflow to yucky people. (laughs) You know who the yucky people are, don't you? There are persons who disagree with you and me. People who are a little bit different. you a loving person. I pray that your love may abound more and more. Let's pray for each other that way. You know, there are at least two parts to loving from these verses. Besides having love that abounds, Paul adds something in verse 9. Our love is to abound in knowledge and depth of discernment. To love with knowledge means that you don't allow your head to rule your heart. To love with insight means your love is not a cold, calculating, measured love. A head-only love. A permissive parent that says yes to every demand of a child may not be very loving at all. Because they are not loving with insight. They are not loving with discernment. And I might say this to myself. A minister of the gospel who never mentions sin may not be expressing much love. And I need to say to all of you here, That this is another opportunity that a good God has given you to receive His Son, Jesus Christ, into your life. To say yes to Him. To acknowledge that you indeed are a sinner, that you have disobeyed and are continuing to be disobedient. And this morning is in the goodness of God, and by His grace, you have the opportunity in this house of God to bow your knee to Him and say, Lord, please come into my life. I receive you this morning. And I believe it's loving for me to say that. Why does the Apostle Paul pray for knowledge an insight in loving. Why does he pray that? Notice verse 10. So that, so that you may approve or be able to discern what is best or excellent. In other words, don't go for the mediocre, go for the best. We pray for the best. Not just for the okay. We pray for the best. Have you ever prayed specifically for anyone this way? And then seen that person's life and love abound? You know what the result would be, I believe? would be joy and happiness. How do you have a happy experience in a prison? To have a happy prayer life. That focuses on the development of that prime virtue that is love. And the result will be joy regardless of the difficulties of one's experience. Well, Let me review The three ways we talked about for strengthening our response to life circumstances. Or as Paul puts it, the secret of being content. Sometimes the secret is so very obvious that we can miss it easily. Well, first, rehearse those happy memories of God's work in your life. I remember my father said this. That he believed that the Lord had him come to the United States in order that he might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Rather than remaining in Europe, he was enabled to come to this country and there find Jesus. There's a happy memory of God at work. Secondly, recall the promise of God with regard to the future. What God has started in you, he's going to finish. He's going to finish it. And no earthly prison is going to stop what God has started And then lastly, let's have a happy prayer life. And my wish and prayer for you all is, may the Lord bless you in every aspect of your lives. May we pray. Father, Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming into your presence and knowing that you are here and that you hear us. Thank you, Lord, that you can change these circumstances of ours so that rather than responding with a great deal of anger or animosity, we can respond in joy and be happy notwithstanding the extent of our prison. Thank you, Father, for for loving us and for having your love abound in us. Father, we pray for someone here who perhaps has not experienced firsthand your saving love. We pray for that person or persons today and may they experience it this morning. Bless this dear fellowship of your people. Thank you for them and for the encouragement that they give to so many. Bless the events of this week to them and may they know your presence among them. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.